0: Good afternoon. You know the worship was just powerful this morning, wasn't it? You, it was just God. You could feel His presence, and I think part of the reason why there was such passionate worship this morning is that you school teachers were just singing to God like you never sang before. School is out, Jesus, you did it. You got me to the end, and congratulations to the students, to the school teachers. In fact, at the end of this service, we're going to honor you graduates. Uh, just to, we we always love to highlight this milestone that comes every year of, of coming to the end of another school year congratulations to teachers, parents, students, all you guys. We love you. We're excited to celebrate the start of summer with you and to worship with you here this afternoon. And we're kicking off a brand new mini-series called What Matters Most? What does really matter most in life? Well, God wants us to know, and he's given us the answer to that. Now, I'm kind of in a season of life where things are a little bit stressful. You know, they're exciting, but it's stressful. We're, you know, we're in transition. We're preparing to move. Um, everything is kind of out, out of the ordinary. And so I've kind of carved out like this one little tiny section in the kitchen, uh, and in in where we're staying. And I'm like, this little bowl is, is, is my stuff. Like, this is where I put my stuff, my keys, my wallet. I might not own anything. I might not have claim to any part of this house, but please don't mess with this tiny little bowl that has my stuff in it. And so one day I couldn't find my keys. And I start going nuts. You know, I'm like, hey, who's got daddy's keys? And then it quickly goes, who's got daddy's keys? You know, and I'm like kind of shaking my fist like a crazy person. And they're like, daddy, we don't, we don't. And I'm like, you're lying. And then I opened up my fist and realized the keys were in my hand. Okay. And you guys ever done this? Of course you have. Or or maybe you haven't. Maybe I'm just the crazy one. But I did it. And so I apologize. I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. Daddy's, you know, just losing his mind. But I've had the keys the whole time. And I think sometimes in life... It's a similar situation. We're desperately searching for something we already possess. That we're looking for the keys to life. We're looking for the answers to these big questions. God, what do you want me to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go? And we're frantically, desperately searching for this. And the whole time, it's in our hand. God's already given us those keys. He's already taught us what matters most and helped us to just kind of to, to build our life around that, that principle. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to discover or perhaps rediscover... What is the key? What really does matter most? And Jesus tells us very plainly, several places in the gospel, but um, here's one from the gospel of Mark where he just kind of outlines it. So one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, listening to Jesus teach, and he realized that Jesus had been answering so well, so much wisdom. So he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? What matters most is really what he was asking Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, and he's quoting the Old Testament. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Then Jesus added the second is equally important, equally important to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So over and over, Jesus is cutting through all of the the ways we overcomplicate life. And he's telling us, look, what matters most is this, loving God and loving people. That's what matters most in life. It's not about the trophies we accumulate, the dollars we accumulate, the titles by our name. What matters most is loving God and loving people. And if we miss that, then we've really missed the most important part. We've, we've let go of that key that Jesus put in our hand that unlocks all the doors he wants to open for us. If we get those priorities out of order, if we think, yeah, I'll love God and love people, but it'll be on a much lesser degree, because right now I'm focused on my success. I'm focused on building a kingdom for myself, not one for God. But God wants us to spend our lives loving him and loving others. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to love God. Next week we're going to talk about what it means to love people. But what we'll find is those two realities are are completely and eternally interconnected. The more you love God, the more capacity you're going to have to love people. But I think part of what holds us up in loving God is we just misunderstand what it's supposed to look like. We overcomplicate it. We as human beings are masters at overcomplicating things. And so Jesus is always here to kind of help us simplify. Maybe part of the reason why we don't love God, express our love to him the way that we should, is simply we don't really understand what it's supposed to look like. Or we have believed the myth that we have to understand him completely before we can really love him. But you're never going to fully understand God on this side of heaven. The Bible says, high as the heavens are above the earth, so your ways, so his ways are, are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And then this, this, uh, this, this passage I'll read in just a second. But first, the principle, I don't know if the screen's working, but you can write this down if, uh, even if it's not. Loving God doesn't require understanding him. It requires trusting him. Loving God doesn't require understanding him. It requires trusting him. You're not going to always understand. Ecclesiastes says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So God's ways are not our ways. This means there are going to be a lot of times in your life where you think, if I was God, I would do things differently. God, if I was in charge, I would totally fix this problem. But we don't see the big picture the way he sees it. We don't see how he's working all things together for our good. We don't see how he's working in us even through our prayers that seem unanswered and even through the struggles that we're facing. And there are going to be times in your life when you're desperately praying for something and God's going to answer it not in the way you wanted to. And that can lead to a crisis of faith. That can lead you to doubt God in your life. Or it can cause you to lean into him even more and trust in his goodness even when you don't understand. Now, I've had a lot of unanswered prayers in my life. Some big ones, some little ones. I'll share one with you that's like super embarrassing because I'm leaving after next week and I can tell you all the really embarrassing stuff now. So get ready. So this is a true story. Unfortunately, it was a few years ago. I was getting a minor medical procedure, but this particular minor medical procedure, while I wasn't worried necessarily about, you know, like dying or anything, I was worried about dying of embarrassment because this procedure was going to require an uncomfortable amount of exposure we'll call it or nudity might be your word and I'm a pretty modest person somewhere in this hospital gown getting ready to kind of go in the room and, I, and I, I say a little prayer to God I'm like God you love me nothing's too hard for you I got a simple prayer this is easy you're God this is nothing for you two-part prayer number one Lord you know that I believe that women are capable equally capable of everything Sometimes much more so than men, but please don't let there be a woman in this room I'm about to go into. Prayer number two. Of the men who are going to be in there, please don't let me know them, nor ever see them again. I don't want to run into them in Kroger. I don't want to have to make small talk. Just want, you know, them to do their job and us be on our way. I felt like that was a reasonable prayer. I felt like this is one God's going to answer for me. So I go in the room. It's two dudes. I'm like, yes, I've never seen him before. Lord, you are a good God. You're so merciful. You care about every detail of my life. And before I can finish the prayer, in walks in a female nurse. She might be in this service right now. And she goes, oh my gosh, Pastor Dave. (laughs) Pastor Dave, what are you doing here? It was pretty obvious what I was doing there. But what are you, oh my goodness. Girls, Pastor Dave is in here. I love your sermons, read your book. That's great. Could we talk about it later maybe? (laughs) So Lord has a sense of humor. I just picture God up there getting the angels around. Hey, Gabriel, get over here. Watch what's going to happen today. This is good. (laughs) This is good. So Lord has a sense of humor. Now, that was a kind of a funny example of an unanswered prayer. But there are going to be examples in your life and in my life where we can't laugh about it. There are going to be times when you're desperately praying for that loved one's cancer to be healed, and God's going to answer that prayer by healing them and taking them to heaven where there is no more cancer. And when He answers a prayer like that in a way that breaks our heart, are we going to trust Him? Are we going to, are we going to know that he, he loves us and that He has only good things for us? Or are we going to push Him away in our anger? the truth is, God is close to the brokenhearted, the Bible says. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. It's in those moments. I think we can experience the love of God in ways that we can never fully experience in the good times. But if we shake our fist at Him and we push Him away, then we we miss out. We miss out on a beautiful opportunity to give and receive love the way that God intended it. So how do we have faith in moments when things aren't going our way? Well, first, it's understanding this principle. Faith is not a feeling. It's a choice to trust God, regardless of what you're feeling. This is an important principle, because we live in a world that worships feelings. Our world says, "Man, just follow your heart. Whatever you're feeling is great." I mean, most of our graduation cards we sent this week said something like that, and it seems like a good advice for a graduation card, but really, when you get down to the root of it, it can be really dangerous advice. Because the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. So unless your heart is following Jesus, I wouldn't follow your heart anywhere. It's going to lead you down some dark paths. It's going to tell you to do something that might feel right in the moment that could actually devastate you and the people around you. So faith isn't a feeling. Love actually isn't a feeling either. Both of these concepts are, are actions. They're both commitments. Commitments. God is saying, I'm calling you to a choice. I'm calling you to a commitment. And yeah, feelings will often accompany it. But the feeling itself... Is not what to base your decisions on. It's something that we need. The book of Hebrews says it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to Him must believe He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And then, in, as an example of what that faith looks like, this same passage gives us real life people from Scripture. You know, it starts listing out the hall of faith, the hall of fame for, for people in the Bible, you know, Abraham and Moses and, and these great leaders. And, If we're not careful, though, we'll make the mistake of seeing these people in the Bible and saying, well, I could never be like them. I mean, they're superhuman. We don't even picture them as real people, right? We picture them as marble statues somewhere that that are superhuman. But the beauty of this example is that all these people are broken people with fears and sins and insecurities just like you and me. And so the Bible's given us the encouragement of saying, look at what they did, and they're just like you. That guy, you know, Moses, who was insecure and had a speech impediment and killed a guy and then ran and hid in the desert for decades. You know, God used him to change the world. You know, that girl Mary, who was an an uneducated teenage girl who wasn't married, and and he told her she was going to carry the Messiah, that she was going to give birth to God's Son. But in doing that, it meant that she was going to carry this social stigma of having gotten pregnant outside of wedlock. Within that culture, could carry a death sentence. And she gladly said, Yes, Lord, I will serve and I am so pleased that you've chosen me for this great task. And God blessed her because of her faith. And over and over we have these examples of regular people that simply put their faith into action. It didn't mean they, they weren't afraid at times. It didn't mean that they didn't mess up at times. It just meant that God gave them a task and they said, Lord, out of my love for you and my trust in you, I'm going to say yes to you. That's what faith is. We overcomplicate it. We make it this mystical feeling that comes and goes but faith is so practical it means just living out right ever wherever you are in your work in your office in your home in your relationships you know when you leave here the way you treat the server at a restaurant says so much about your faith the way that you love God and we need to be people who are living out our faith in all parts of our life because if it's only something we do for an hour on Sunday we've missed the whole point We've tragically missed the whole point. We might as well stay at home. But this is a time to encourage each other and spur each other on to go out into the world and live out our faith on the mission field, which is everywhere we go. Our house, our office, our cubicle, wherever we go, we need to be living out our faith. And so you might think, well, God's never called me to, you know, build an ark or, you know, do some massive thing. But for God, the things he calls you to right where you are are just as significant. Are you going to say yes to him? right where you are, recognizing that it is a sacred task. Here's the principle. Loving God means treating every act of work as an act of worship. Worship isn't just coming in here and singing songs. Worship can be everything you do. It can be the way that you sweep the floor. It can be the way that you teach the kids in your classroom. The way that you work on that car, your mechanic shop. The, doing it with excellence, doing it with honesty, doing it with gratitude for the God who gave you the skill to do it. The Bible says this, it says, work willingly or work wholeheartedly at whatever you do. It's working for the Lord and not for people. You might think, well, I got a jerk boss. I can't work hard. You're not working for your boss, the Bible says. You're working for the boss, Jesus and when you give your best right where you are, even in a setting where you're not, you don't feel fairly appreciated or fairly compensated, you say, God, I'm doing this as an act of worship to you. And I'm going to give my best even when nobody but you is paying attention, because that is one of the most pure acts of worship. You do it when you, the way that you, you moms and dads love your kids, the way that you love them, the way that God has loved you. And even on those days when you feel like, is it making any difference? Or are they even getting these lessons I'm teaching them? And and yes, there's nothing more significant you can do with your, your, your time and that sacred responsibility of, of loving and pouring into the next generation. And your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God, Pastor Andy Stanley has said this, might not be something you do. It might be someone you raise. And, and I think about John Wesley and Charles Wesley, these brothers who several hundred years ago just lit the world on fire for Jesus and, and created a revival to span the globe. And John, one, in one sermon, he said, you know, I learned more from my mother than from every theologian in England. Just the way that she lived her life, the way that she honored God in every little thing that she did. You are showing your children, you're, by the, the way you treat the people right under your roof, right around your table. You know, you're living out your faith in ways that will make a massive impact. When you go to that office tomorrow... And it might be a place filled with drama and strife. But let your little cubicle be an oasis of peace... ...in an ocean of drama. Let it be a place where there's just joy and peace coming from you... ...not because you're perfect... ...but because a perfect God is shining through you... ...that it actually draws people in. They they want to be around you. They they find encouragement in you. And you might be praying, God, deliver me from this place... ...and maybe He will in His perfect timing... ...but in the meantime, He has you there for a purpose... ...and so don't waste an opportunity... ...because every day, God is going to bring opportunities... ...for you to change the world for somebody... And very often, I miss them and you miss those opportunities because we're so preoccupied with the ways we feel like we're being treated unfairly and we're so preoccupied with our own agenda that we miss that God is answering our prayer to change the world through us by every person He brings in our path. But instead of seeing them as a divine appointment, we mistake them for an interruption and we walk away. And we've got to change the way we approach the way that God sends Every blessing to us, because very often we mistake and we don't realize that it's a blessing when they first get there. But everyone created in the image of God that he sends down your path is is someone you're meant to impact in some way for God's glory, for their good, and you get blessed in the process. Every act of work can be an act of worship. No matter what you're doing, you can change the climate of it. I think about um, when I was in high school, my community was, there was a new factory and my community was growing far faster than the road system could keep up. It you know, looked kind of like, like Grovetown looks now, just really explosive growth. And But where the high school and the middle school was, it had grown by all these students, but the road system hadn't kept pace. And so there was only one way in to this whole big school complex. This one road in created a massive, bit of traffic during rush hour as school was coming and school was going. And it created all kinds of stress. People would wait in this long line of traffic. They would get to school late. They would get to school frustrated. The teachers, the students were all mad. Then you leave and it was the same story, the same pinch point at the intersection. People were stressed and mad and, you know, and all these teenage and I was one of these teenage drivers that you you think you know how to drive at 16, but you're dangerous. And if you're 16 and here, I love you. You'll get better, too. Trust me. But I was terrible and we were all were. And so it was all kinds of stress coming into this intersection. It was the worst job that the, the police force believed that they had was assigning someone to direct traffic at that intersection. Nobody wanted it. It was always a punishment that somebody got. And whoever got it, they treated it like a punishment. You could tell they were as frustrated as all of the drivers. And so one guy in the police force saw it as an opportunity to be a blessing. And he volunteered. They're like, you don't have to volunteer. You got seniority. You don't have to do this. He's like, no, I want to do this. I think it could be fun. They're like, you're crazy. It's the worst job. He's like, no, I think everybody's looked at it as the worst job. I think it could be fun. And they're like, you're out of your mind, but okay. So this guy, he, he gets there the first day and starts surveying the situation. And sure enough, people start coming, he gets all stretched, you know, they're all stressed out. And so he takes a completely different approach. He gets out of the intersection, gets the whistle out. He starts doing this like elaborate stretching routine, like he's getting ready. And all of a sudden people start smiling and laughing. And he gets his whistle out and he starts doing like this, this like, you know, Michael Jackson tunes and stuff and starts like moonwalking and people are laughing. And then he just goes into it and he starts pointing at cars and telling them which way to go. And he's like doing it with choreography and people are laughing and you forget that you're waiting in this long line. You're being entertained. Every day he would do something different to the point where people would start driving that way on purpose to get into the traffic just to see what he was going to do. Now, this was before the days of smartphones, okay? I'm old. Like, th- th- he was not doing it for someone to get him on phone and go viral. We had the old Nokias that looked like a brick. You guys remember those? There was no video on the phone. Like, he wasn't doing this to get famous. He was doing this to serve and to bring joy. And it changed the climate, really, of the school. Because people would come in at the beginning of the day, and instead of scowling, they were all smiling. Like, did you see the guy today? What he was doing? It was great. the end of the day, people would be smiling as they left, even though they waited the same length of time but instead of a curse, it was now a blessing because one person decided to treat it as a blessing instead of a curse. One person decided to see it as an opportunity to serve. And wherever you are, whether you're directing traffic, whether you're teaching kids, whether you're flipping burgers, whatever you're doing, you can do it as an act of worship. You can give your very best, even, especially in those moments when you feel like nobody's paying attention. Every morning I read a devotional. It's brought me just tons of perspective and encouragement. It's, it's called My Utmost for His Highest by a guy named Oswald Chambers. It's about 100 years old. It's the best-selling devotional of all time. But the guy who wrote it had no idea that it would be famous or that he would be famous. You see, when he died in his early 40s, nobody knew who he was and nobody had read this. This was lessons that he had taught in really small group settings and like Sunday school classes and well, far away from cameras and fanfare and, and TVs and all of that. He just, he just poured out his heart and taught these lessons about faith to the people that God placed in his life faithfully, wholeheartedly, right where he was. And then when he died unexpectedly as a young man, his wife and those people in his life who'd been impacted by his lessons, they, they got together all of it and said, man, that touched our hearts, that changed our lives. Other people need to read this. This is really powerful. And they compiled it into a, into a book, into a devotional. And it's, for the last hundred years, been translated into like every language and touched people all over the world. The guy had no idea. He was just being faithful right where he was. And it's the same for you and me. We tend to equate success to, you know, how many likes and shares did it get on Facebook and how much money is attached to it and how many people applauded for it. And while those things are fine and good, man, it is, it is a dead-end road if we're thinking that's what success is. We've got to define success the way God does, which is simply his faithfulness, whether people are clapping or not whether people are noticing or not? Am I being faithful to do what God has called me to do right where I am? Because that's one of the purest ways I can show my love for him and know that my heavenly father is pleased. And if he's the only one who's applauding, I'm a success. But if everyone else is applauding and he's not, then I'm a failure because I've, I've chased the wrong goal. I've, I've looked for the, the praise from people instead of the praise from God. And there might be those beautiful moments in life where you get both at the same time, where God's clapping and people are too, and, and you just... you. you 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 visibly see some of that blessing, but most of that doesn't happen on this side of heaven. It just doesn't. And so we've got to be patient. That leads to the next one. Loving God means choosing to obey Him, even when you feel like doing something else. Again, it's the feeling thing. Man, I feel like not obeying that commandment. God, was this one optional because this is really hard today. And, And part of it is we live in a world where everything's on demand, we don't have to wait for anything. I mean, you just ask Siri, and you can get an answer to something right then. But sometimes, when you're waiting on an answer from God, it can take a long time. You've been praying the same prayer for two days. You're like, God, nothing's happened. You know, Amazon Prime will get it done in two days, God. Are you saying Amazon Prime is better than you, God? And like, we just we have this unrealistic view of how God delivers His blessings. Everything in life really worth having takes time, and we don't want to hear that. We don't want, we don't want, we want instant. And when our, as soon as something feels hard, we want to let go. We want to just follow our hearts, even if it leads us into destructive path. But this is how, you know, Jesus told us to love him. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's pretty simple, really. And most of his commandments, by the way, are about loving people. There's so my new command, you know, love each other as I've loved you. So when we're loving people, we're actually doing it as a way to love God. It's all connected so he's not saying, I want you to follow a bunch of rules to sh- because that's love. He's saying, look, if you really love me as, as a reflection and a response to all that I've done for you, then trust me enough to do what I tell you to do because my plan for your life is the best plan. And when you'll do it, it'll point people to me. It'll protect you. Everybody wins. But if you won't do it, a lot of people will be hurt along the way. But we've got we've to be patient. See, right now we're going through a hard phase with uh, our three-year-old, Chatham, who's like the sweetest three-year-old on the planet, right? He's the cutest. You might have a three-year-old. Chatham's cuter. I'm sorry. He's just, he's, I know I'm a little partial. He's really cute. But he's going through this phase where bedtime is terrible. Just terrible. I'm dreading it now. Like I'm dreading tonight now because I know that it's just going to be long. And so I've tried everything. You know, he'll, let's, tell me a story Cattle, It would just, it would go tickle just everything. And then, and then he'll get out of bed. I'm scared. And then I try, I've tried compassion, but it's okay. There's nothing to be scared of. I've tried like, I've tried scaring him. I'll give you something to be scared about. Get in that bed. I've tried all of it. Good cop, bad cop. I've tried it all. None of it works. So one night I said, okay, if you stay in your bed, this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, when you're sleeping is when you grow. And if you want to be big and strong, you got to stay in your bed. And he goes, ah, oh, am I going to be big and strong like you? And I'm like 5'7". No one calls me big. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like me, you know. And he goes, I want to be big and strong like you, Daddy. And, and I'm like, well, you got to stay in bed. And if you, if you rest, then yeah, you're going to be big and strong like Daddy. So he went to bed. I didn't hear a peep from him. I thought I was like Dad of the Year. I was ready to write a book on how to win at bedtime. He got up the next morning. He looked at himself. He looked at me and he goes, You're a liar. What are you talking about? He goes, You said if I went to sleep, I was gonna be big like you. I'm the same size. And I was like, No, 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 buddy. Like, it takes a long time. And, and But little by little, you're growing. Every day, you're growing. And, and one day, he, he was just like, I don't have time for that. Like, next night, same mess. He was out of bed over and over again. But we're kind of like that. And, We're spiritually sometimes having the maturity of a toddler. If it isn't overnight, we don't want to put in the, the time to experience the growth. We're just like, you know, forget that. That's going to take too long. I want the easy path. And there is no easy path to any place worth going. And yet God is saying, just trust me. Just trust me. And speaking of rest, this leads to the last one. Loving God means having the faith to be still and rest in his presence, even when life feels chaotic. A lot of the things we've talked about are kind of actions that you're supposed to do, but I never want you to believe the myth That somehow you prove your love to God simply by work. That's a works-based myth. And and it can be dangerous. It can create legalism. It can create pride. And yeah, we need to do things with our life, order our life to, to show that we love God. But ultimately, we also need to be still and know that He is God, as the Bible says. Jesus says, "'Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest.'" He wants us to know He's done all the work. And sometimes we need to put, just put our faith into His completed work and just rest in the arms of our Heavenly Father. I love this verse from Psalms. It says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. And there are moments when the most spiritual thing we can do is just stop trying so hard, and just say, Father, Lord, just hold me. I just need you to hold me. And to feel his protection, his embrace, to, to forget, to feel like we don't have to be the, the God of our own lives, our own savior, our own provider and protector, that he wants to do that for us. And to experience the peace that comes when we truly put our lives in his hands that way. And her heard a story of this mom who was very sick, an illness that that could lead to death. It was very serious. And her family was was aware of this even her her son was old enough to understand that his mom was very sick and one night at bedtime she was tucking him in and and kissing him and saying the prayers and going through that bedtime routine and and just very humbly and innocently as only a child can he said he said mommy are you scared of dying? She kind of choked back tears just faced with the reality of her son having to ask questions like this and imagine a life where his mom's not physically present with her and him and and he said she said um, well, sweetie, I'm I'm devastated at the thought of not being here with you every day. If if God calls me to heaven early, but but no, I'm not afraid of dying because I know that Jesus is is with me and He's for me, and, and heaven's a perfect place, and, and we don't have any anything to be afraid of. And and so then he asked another question. He said, "Well, what's it what's it like to die?" And she'd never really thought about how to answer that in a way that a child could really understand, but without really thinking about it, answering in a way that I believe could only come from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she told her son, she said, you know what it's like when you're watching TV, watching your favorite show in the living room and and you're staying up really late because you want to see all of it, but you fall asleep. And then the next thing you know, you're in your room when you wake up and you're wondering, how in the world did I get here? And she said, and how you got there is because your daddy, once you fell asleep, he came and he gently scooped you up and he kissed you on the head and he took you to your room, a place where you're safe, a place where you belong. And he, he put you there so that when you woke up, you would be where you were meant to be. She said, I think dying's like that. She said, one day we'll fall asleep. And when that happens, our Heavenly Father who's been with us all along will scoop us up in his arms and kiss us on the head and carry us to that place we were meant to be all along, a place that's safe, a place that's made for us. The boy smiled and said, I love you, mommy, and went to sleep. You know, I i think that that simple childlike faith is what we need to come back to a lot. We overcomplicate these, these issues of faith and we try to say big words and we try to dig deeper and deeper when very often the answers that we need are the simplest ones. Jesus says, come to me like a child. Those who don't enter my kingdom like a child will never enter it at all. And a child simply trusts that his daddy is with him and will protect him and has nothing but good things for him. And if you and I can come back to that place, no matter what we're going through, especially in the difficult moments, and I'm not saying you need to look at the hard stuff in your life and pretend that it's good or pretend that it's easy. That's not faith, that's delusion. But what is faith is saying, God, I'm hurting right now, but you're bigger than the pain that I'm feeling. And I'm asking you to help me and give me the strength. And so I'm gonna pray for those here today that are in a tough place like that. But I also wanna pray specifically for those who don't yet love God in that intimate kind of way. Maybe you just kind of see him as a as a set of rules you got to follow or a distant judge who's waiting to punish you. And you've, you've missed out on that relationship of a loving father that just wants to, to carry you. And that can begin today though. Jesus has done all the work. He paid the price on the cross. He took care of our sin. He did everything, but he's just waiting on you to accept his invitation through faith. And that can begin today. So let's pray together. Father, Thank you for your love. We can only love you because you loved us first. So thank you for that limitless love you've poured out on us, adopting us into your family as sons and daughters. What an amazing thought. Father, I pray for those today that are struggling. Lord, you're close to the brokenhearted and they need to feel you close like never before because of the pain and the loneliness they're feeling. Let them know they're not alone, that you're with them. Carry them through. I pray for those here today and those watching online who don't yet know you that they could begin that journey through a simple act of faith. You've done all the work so they can just open the door and say, Jesus, save me today. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. Adopt me into your family. Make me into the person I'm meant to be and help me spend my life living out my destiny to love you, Lord, and love other people and not settle for anything less in this life. And for all of us, God, let us never lose sight of what matters most, loving you and loving people and realizing that we are loved by you, Lord. And that's who we are. That is where our identity lies. Forgive us that we've made it about so many other things. We thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.